Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so, John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. John the Baptist, we meet him in the New Testament, but he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. We know the rest of the story of Jesus' life. John hadn't the faintest idea how it was going to pan out. All his teaching about the ministry which God had placed on him came from his father and from his mother. And if you read back in Luke's Gospel, you'll see what they would have taught him. They would have taught him how how the angel came and said that uh, uh, he was to be the one that goes before the one that the nation had been waiting for, for seemed forever. And he was to go come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And he was to be the one prophesied by Malachi and by Isaiah. And Malachi, when he prophesied the coming of this preparer, talked about it being ahead of the day of the Lord and going on and saying, who can stand in the day of the Lord? Because the day of the Lord brings judgment. So if you read in Mark, if you read in Matthew, and you read in, in, in Luke about the ministry of John, you discover that he speaks quite a lot about that. The axe is laid at the root of the tree. The coming one is coming, but he comes and he's going to come with his winnowing fork in his hand. And he will separate the wheat from the chaff and the chaff will be burned with fire. Repent and prepare your hearts for the coming one. Interestingly, Mark doesn't include any of that. And tradition has it that Mark, who obviously, as we know, wasn't one of the eleven disciples, Mark received most of his information from Peter. But if you read Peter's two letters at the end of his life, just before he dies, 
in, he's aware that he's going to die. I haven't got very long to live, he says in effect. And in both his final letters, which are by way of reminder, so that after he is dead, the people will still live in an upright way, then he starts talking about, he starts talking about the day of the Lord. He starts saying exactly the same things that John was saying. But it's not here in Mark. So, we'll come back to that. Isn't it weird? It says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. Don't you think that's strange? I thought, this was the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. Christmas. Or or was it the prophets Isaiah and others saying that a virgin will, will have a child or the people that dwell in darkness have seen a great light. Was that the beginning of the gospel? Or was it, as Paul says, before the foundation of the world, Christ was crucified for our sins? Seems to be lots of beginnings, don't there? Think about this, the beginning of the gospel. Jesus had been around for 30 years, hidden. He was born in Bethlehem and announced with fanfares, but almost, it seems, within weeks or months, he was on his way to Egypt. Nobody saw him. And then when they came back, they went to Nazareth, not Bethlehem. And as I think it was Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He was hidden. And he was a carpenter, an ordinary artisan. So the beginning of the gospel, according to Mark, comes when Jesus, the promise of the gospel had been there since the fall. The prediction of the gospel had come through the prophets. The birth of the Savior happened in Bethlehem. But God's plan wasn't formally launched until Jesus, at the age of 30 or so, arrived in public and was announced by John the Baptist as being the one they had all been waiting. Behold, said John the Baptist, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's when God launched his big plan. And Jesus was his man. And Jesus was the salvation. And Jesus is the good news. And Jesus and what he did is what we have to look for. John the Baptist, though, had the job of preparing the way. And preparing the way isn't easy. It wasn't for John the Baptist. It hasn't been for revivalists or ministers through the ages. Because preparing the way has to deal with some very hard things. Sin. We don't like the word, do we? 
And Marky and I looked up the meaning earlier in the week, and I forget precisely what, what it said, but it was something along the lines. Can you remember, Marky, precisely? No. Sin is something which... Uh, I forget the official, the f- official definition, but if you have done something which displeases God or breaks his rules or laws or is unloving or unkind or is um, devious, something which hurts God, that's sin. So you see, it's not just stealing somebody's bike that it's sin. It can be an attitude that is sin. And attitudes are harder to get to sometimes than actions because you can see actions. You can feel attitudes, but that's the way I am. And so John the Baptist had this difficult job of preparing the way so that the good news of forgiveness of sin could be brought by a saviour who would carry that sin in his own being on the tree. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But if he is going to carry our sin and take it away, we have to be done with it, don't we? You see? We have to say, if you're going to take the rap for this, and you did, John didn't know he was going to do it the way we do, you're going to take the rap for this, then I can't hang on to it, can I? I can't say, oh, thank you for taking my sin, but it is rather good. So since you've done that, I can keep going, can't I? So John the Baptist's job was a difficult one. And because he had to call people to confess their sins and make a way in their hearts for the Holy One to come. Now, John didn't know how the Holy One, Jesus, was going to do his stuff. He was still thinking judgment because he's a prophet of the Old Testament. He understands sacrifice, but he can't see how it's going to work out. Because if you read in Luke chapter 7... John the Baptist, having been imprisoned by the king, sends messengers to Jesus. Because John the Baptist has heard that Jesus healed the servant of a Gentile and that he was doing all kinds of amazing miracles. And that didn't quite fit, somehow or another, with winnowing forks and and fire and judgment. This is my take on it, by the way. And so he sends messengers to Jesus and says, are you the one we're looking for? Or are we looking for another? And Jesus did many mighty works in that hour and sent the messengers back and said, tell him what you have seen. And of course in Isaiah, Isaiah speaks about the blind seeing and the lame walking and the, and the lame dancing and things like that. Tell him what you've seen. And blessed is the man who does not take offense at me. John the Baptist, the prophet of the Old Testament, 
found it mind-blowing and at times perhaps inconceivable how it was that the Holy One was doing his work because he experienced and saw grace at work which he hadn't expected and which he knows we don't deserve. See, John the Baptist said, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not even worthy to unloose. And he's the man calling people to repentance and he is feeling his own inadequacy before such a holy one as is promised and who, as it happens, came. Now, don't forget that it's quite probable that John the Baptist knew Jesus. Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. It was to Elizabeth that Mary went when she became pregnant. When Mary walked into her cousin's house and Elizabeth at that time was bearing John the Baptist, John the Baptist leapt apparently in the womb and his mother, Elizabeth, began to prophesy about how blessed it was that the mother of my Lord should come here. So, from the womb, we're told John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit. And John the Baptist, being in part of this extended family, who knows, they were roughly the same age. They might even have gone to the same bar mitzvah ceremony when Jesus got lost, do you remember? Being distant family and being Jewish, they will have seen each other often enough. Being Middle Eastern, they will have seen each other often enough. There are lots of Muslims at the school where I go, and they have a Middle Eastern culture, many of them, and they spend most of their holidays with cousins and extended family. It wouldn't have been any different for the Jews, my guess is. And so John the Baptist had seen this cousin once, twice removed, whatever, growing up. He knew the quality of his integrity, the nature of his spirit. And John the Baptist himself, having been informed by his mum and dad how he was born and the prophecies that were made over him, would have been watching Jesus. Whether or not he knew he was the one, I don't know. But when he sees Jesus, his first comment is, when in his public ministry, he sees Jesus Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus asks him to baptize him, and he says, But I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. He had to deal with sin in preparing the way, and he felt his own inadequacy and sin and unworthiness. We know the end of the story. We know that Christ died for our sins. Uh, we don't understand the agony of it. We know he did. We know that he calls us to repentance. Because if, since he's died for our sins, we can't live in them anymore, can we? 
We know that he rose from the dead after three days. There's all the humiliation and the failure and the, and the depression of his death as his disciples waited. Suddenly there's this astonishment that he's risen from the dead. And the growing awareness, little by little, that he has dealt with the curse of death. Cursed is everybody who sins. Cursed is everybody too who hangs upon a cross. Christ had taken the curse of death. He'd undone the devil's work. He'd defeated the enemy of our souls. He'd opened the way to paradise. He was alive and as John the Baptist announced, following on from the prophets, he sent his Holy Spirit, not just to be with us, but to be in us. And we know the end of the story, that he sent his Holy Spirit so that although before we were Christians, like these people before Jesus arrived, we wanted to get rid of our sin, and we determined that we weren't going to do this or that anymore, and we were willing to be ready for Jesus, yet still that disposition to do evil was still in us. But we know that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, he gave us his spirit, who gave us a new disposition. This disposition of Christ, Christ in us so that we knew that we had been transformed and changed. And now when we said we don't want to do that, we have a new experience inside us and a new desire inside us which has been planted by the Holy Spirit to say, but I'm going to do it Jesus' way. We've been born again. Hallelujah. We know that. We see the end of the story. John the Baptist was just announcing the beginning. And the baptism which he had when people came confessing their sins in the River Jordan, his baptism was not the baptism we do. They came confessing their sins for the forgiveness of sins in anticipation of the Saviour coming. We are baptised in the knowledge that the Saviour has come and pours out his spirit. They were baptized in a baptism of repentance, looking for the one who was about to arrive. We are baptized, remembering the one who came in the assurance that he gives us his spirit and makes us new, so that we can perform the repentance that is in our hearts. Wow. But this is a challenge to me. To me. I read John the Baptist, for instance, and he says, people come to him and says, and we, what must we do? Well, he must have heard Dush. He said, if any of you has two tunics, let him give to him who has no tunics. 
So I had the advantage of knowing, Dush, that you were going to speak. There are your first two. Because the Word of God challenges us. It's not about hearing. It's about doing. Do you repent? In theory, yes. But in reality, are we a people who are living out a repentance in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, whose spirit has made us new? I don't dare say this, what I've just said, in an accusing way. Uh, Because if you could lift up the flaps on my life, you will see how many times God has had to deeply challenge me on this. Again and again. Being changed from one degree of glory to another, yeah. Slipping back a bit. Being changed a bit more, thank you God. Forgetting. I guess that my story is not the only one like that here. But the first thing Jesus said when he came on the scene, having been announced, the first thing in Mark's gospel is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus carried the same word. Now repentance means a change of mind and attitude. And the prophets prophesied that in preparation for Jesus, the mountains would be leveled and the valleys would be raised up. I don't know how to interpret that, but I have an interpretation. You must take it or leave it, and those of you who know the Greek or the Hebrew must correct me later if I'm wrong. The extraordinary thing about the coming, the presence of Jesus, is he is the leveller amongst men, isn't he? There is one saviour, and all men, you and I, come to the foot of the cross on our knees Because all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. None of us can turn around and say, yeah, but I've given more coats away than you have. Therefore, I deserve to be up front. No, because I'd have to say I've been more greedy in other things than you have. I have to kneel at the cross. We can't do that. We kneel at the cross. So we all find ourselves in the same place. Those of you who in this world or in your businesses or in your households are like mountains. Don't be arrogant. Don't lord it over those around you. 
Don't look down on others who haven't made your dizzy heights and pity them or be superior to them. Jesus Christ levels us. And those of you who are nothings, you're just the spit of the world in your own eyes. What might your sins be? Self-pity might be one of them. Moaning and groaning might be one of them. Oh, poor me. Things which draw attention to us, when we just draw attention to ourselves like that, whether it's through grandeur or poverty, when we just draw people's attention to ourselves, all that stuff is equally sinful in God's eyes. but we come to the cross together and the high and the mighty are forgiven and cleansed and welcomed and given the Holy Spirit and a new nature like the nature of Jesus and the spit of this world is lifted up I was the spit of this world you're probably fed up with hearing me saying it now But there's a scripture which I've quoted several times, but I just love it. That the Lord looks far down upon the heavens and he reaches down and he lifts up the needy from the ash pit. He lifts up the spit of this world to give it dignity forgiving the sins but giving it the same dignity as he gives to everyone else a welcome a rejoicing his spirit in the hearts and perhaps part of the repentance of our generation has to understand that Self-made, forget it. Self-sufficient, forget it. Useless, forget it. You too are made in the image of God. Worthless, not to Jesus who died for you, the same as he did for everyone else the same price upon Jesus' head for your purchase as everyone else. Lord, maybe we need to remember this, that for the way of the Lord, for the Lord to come in his glory, we have to prepare a level place for him through hearts that share equality and um, spiritual equality and acknowledgement of each other and love of each other in the same way that Christ loved us. Welcome 
one another as Christ has welcomed you. Whether your lives are lived up there or down there, let's welcome one another there in Christ. He came to prepare the way to make a level path to deal with sin. And if we find sin in ourselves, we should be very clear to ask him to deal with it in us. You don't need the preacher to find the sin in your heart. Sometimes the preacher preaches and it just goes deep. Sometimes it doesn't because it's not relevant. But God knows your heart. And the thing to do if you do nothing else today is to open your heart to God and say, God, here I am. What you see that you want sorted in me, please do it. And I won't just say yes, I will do it. My wife complained of me over many years that I don't do the washing up. Women, you may be appalled. But I got fed up with saying sorry. And one day, I said sorry, and very grudgingly, but I suppose if I don't do it, you won't believe me, will you? And I've done the washing up ever since. No big deal, is it? But it is an example of what repentance is. John came to prepare a way. Let God prepare a way in your hearts for Jesus to do much more in you than ever you asked or imagined. Because he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He is a great leveler, but he's a lifter up of all men and all women into the household of God, into the presence and the love of God, into the companionship and the fellowship of God for life. 